Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Is Christianity an institution, a program, or a movement? In this series, we're going to take a look at the church from a number of different angles, and we're going to look to see if the church is really a movement, and can it be a movement? And if it is a movement, what would it look like? And what would it accomplish? And how exciting would that be? We're going to look at this series in six different parts. The first one being, why are so many churches declining? In the second of the series, we'll look at what are the characteristics of a movement? In the third segment, we'll look at what does a movement look like in your church? In the fourth, we'll look at the issue of what is the power of a movement? And in number five, we'll look at why does a movement require risk? And then finally, in number six, we'll look at what is a movement in multiplication? So why are so many churches declining? Do you realize that in the United States today, 90% of the churches are plateaued or declining, aging, or growing at a slower rate than their community? This ought to be a challenge that rocks your soul. It certainly upsets me. I would like to see more people upset about this issue because it doesn't have to be, and it's certainly not God's plan. I remember a story told by John Maxwell in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Defective People, where he talks about the church a little bit, and I've modified this. It goes something like this. Churches stop growing when the price gets too high. There are so many dying churches in the country today, just about every one of them stopped growing when the price got too high. The price might be change, expansion, or sacrifice. It could be anything, but churches stop growing when the price gets too high. As we look at this whole issue of multiplication and now focusing on the broken body of Christ— we're going to look at the anatomy of a declining church. Not too long ago, I was asked to consult a church in Texas, not too far from Houston. This church had declined in the last few years from a membership and worship attendance of about 270 just a few years ago to about 40. And now the alarms were going off. It was like a four-alarm fire among these people. They suddenly realized that the church is running out of people, and that, of course, means that they're running out of money. They spoke to one of the leaders of their denomination who came in and visited them and came to the conclusion that they had about 18 months before they faced closure. God got their attention. Why is it that we have to get so low, hit bottom, see the struggle so dramatically, before we get real. I don't know. But I wish we would look at the church with the eyes of Jesus, who sees a church that grows, that is healthy, that is exciting, that is reaching people, that is making an impact on their communities. That's the kind of church Jesus looks for. And it doesn't have to get our attention when you get down to 40 people. But here's this church in Texas, like many across the United States, that has finally reached the end of bottom, and now is a church that is struggling and challenged. At least they were open to ideas. And just to fast forward a little bit, in the last six to eight months, this church has done a turnaround. Now, why? Because some recommendations were made, biblical issues were considered, 
The purpose of the church was renewed. Some tenacity was found among the people, and quite frankly, a couple of uh, detractors, we call them church bullies, were um, challenged in what they were doing and saying in the church and basically put in their place. When I first started as a consultant many years ago, my mentor was Lyle Schaller. Many pastors, particularly those who are older today, remember Lyle Schaller. He wrote many books and was a great thinker about church life, a great student of churches and a consultant himself. And he trained me to be a consultant. And one time he said, churches die because it's easier to die than it is to think. I want you to think with me for a while today. And as we look at this issue of declining churches, basically this session is to get your attention and to start thinking about you know, where is your church headed? If you look at the statistics over the last uh, five years, 10 years, if you were to put it on a graph, look at your worship attendance. If you were to look at that graph, what would it show? Would it show a plateau? Would it show growth? Would it show a decline? And if it shows a plateau or decline, then sound the alarm. Let people know. Literally, your church is dying. Of course, God is in the resurrection business, so uh, there is hope on the horizon. But it's not going to happen by magic. It's not going to happen because you wish it to happen. God wants it to happen, but he's put the church in your hands. So as we look at a declining or dying church, I was thinking about the book that was written many years ago by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross entitled On Death and Dying. She identified five stages that people go through when they're dying. And it actually speaks a little bit to the way people act in churches. So I want you to think about this. Maybe it'll resonate to you and your church. Hopefully not if you're a growing church, but I'm sure if you don't have a declining church, you know of one nearby or are related to someone who's in one of those churches. One of the first stages of death and dying is denial and isolation. Over the years, maybe the last decade or so, I would say that many churches were in denial. They just weren't facing the facts, and I believe that's changing today. It may be why you're listening to this podcast. It may be why you find this subject so interesting. It may be why you're praying that God would bring help to your congregation and, like many churches, see it turn around. That denial is part of that first stage where people just ignore the facts. You come to church, and there are more empty seats— your number of funerals continues to go up as your aging congregation becomes a dying congregation. There are fewer youth around. You just don't see the young people like you used to. And when a young family visits, they look around, they don't see any other young families, and they just don't come back because they get the feeling that there's no one there like them. And so what's happened is you've reached a decline point where it's hard to break that cycle. It can happen. There are ways to do it. But many people in this stage of denial and isolation tend to think of their church and literally like to wipe it out of their mind. It's painful while you're there and you see so many empty seats, but then you go back to your regular life after church and you tend to put it out of your mind because it is painful. It is painful. Well, what happens then is uh, you get into a second stage of death and dying, which Elizabeth Kubler-Ross calls 
the second stage of anger. And this is where the church bullies come out of the woodwork. These are people that aren't normally bad people. They're just frustrated, but it brings out the worst in them. They just start being kind of mean-spirited. They are in this anger stage. They're angry because they see their church, the church they love, they see it declining and they see it dying. They know, at least subconsciously, that uh, when the church runs out of people, the church is basically gone. And people come to church regularly, love their church, you know. I'm sure you do. You love your church. Or you wouldn't go there. you go somewhere else. Well, the church bullies, they suffer from the anger first. And it's rough. It's a bad deal. They start to pick on what they think are the reasons. Of course, the pastor is often the lightning rod for attracting their anger. Sometimes they go after staff or church leaders even. These people are not really church experts. They're kind of like the uh, person who's told that they have cancer and they're mad at the doctor. The doctor is just uh, the person who wants to try to help them, but they take out their anger sometimes on God too. That happens in churches as well. But it isn't God's fault, and it's certainly normally not your pastor or staff or church leader's fault. Actually, most pastors and church leaders and staff have little to no training in how to turn a church around. They may, in their desperation, have tried one program after another, only to discover that it just doesn't work. It's a program that they've tried, but it doesn't work. And so as they get involved in that, they just really don't know what to do about that. And so uh, as they struggle with one program after another, things actually get worse and they really don't know what to do. Well, anyway, that's the second stage, the anger stage. And there is a silver lining to this, however. And it's a God thing. It's what God does. He develops in some people by the work of the Holy Spirit, he develops in some people a desire to change. It's called holy discontent, and it's really the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, and it moves among the people. And some people, not everybody, but some people get this holy discontent. You could also call it spiritual restlessness. It's an internal thing. And it usually occurs in some of your most committed Christians, people that are in Bible study and learning about God, pray regularly, attend church regularly. And because they are the strong members of your church, they don't complain out loud because they don't want to sound like one of those complainers. But maybe at home, they'll talk to another person uh, like their spouse, where it's kind of private. And they'll say, you know, I just can't get over this feeling that's in my gut about our church. I don't know. I'm just so upset about our church. I don't want to be critical about it. I'm not full of criticism here. I just feel like with as good as our church is in so many ways, so many things we do well, I just don't understand why our church is declining or why it's not growing. It just seems like the things that we do so well at our church, I just feel like we should have more people in worship. We should have more young families here. This frustration continues. And actually, these are the beginning of God's working in a church. But the challenge is these people don't go public. 
because they don't want to sound like the bullies. They don't want to be pigeonholed with those guys that are negative about everything because these people aren't negative about everything. They love God. They love their pastor. They're not going to bail from the church. They give generously. They're involved in ministry, give of their time and their talents, but they just are frustrated and they can't get over it. So that's the beginning of the potential of a turnaround. But nobody knows who these people are, and they don't know who else in the church might have holy discontent because they don't talk about it outside of the privacy of their home. Unless, of course, you raise the issue and bring them together. But that's another story for later. So the third stage is bargaining. Then people begin to bargain. As they see their church die, they begin to have certain bad behaviors. And one of them, which you may have already seen in your church, is the need to gain control. You see, when you see your church slipping away, you just got to hang on to something. And so people dig in their heels and they want to really keep control over things. And what happens is you've got some control-oriented people in every church and their control orientation just raises to new heights and uh, new intensity. Part of this control is a lot of people get hung up and almost consumed with rehearsing the past, remembering the good old days. If we had only done this, if we had only done that, looking backwards for solutions, which is not a very good idea. It's just not productive. Another thing that happens in the bargaining stage, people start saying, you know, if we only had another pastor, if we only got someone younger or new or whatever, or they start making deals with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God isn't a wheeler dealer, but that's just part of the bargaining stage. The next one, the fourth stage is depression. And this is where sadness appears to be the greatest emotion among the people in the church. And I've seen this in a lot of dying churches. It's uh, really sad. But what happens in this uh, depression stage is people are focused on the cost of everything. Of course, that's because they're running out of money. If someone recommends that they get expert help to come in to give them advice and direction and encouragement, there's a cost involved. People are hesitant to say, yes, I'll contribute to that because they're in this depressive stage of death and dying of the church. And there's also in this stage of depression, a lot of reflection. How did we mess up this church? Or what has happened with this church? What are we doing wrong? What have we done wrong? Who has done what wrong? All that stuff. And then finally, there's the fifth stage, as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about people who are dying, and that is the fifth stage of acceptance. But, you know, God is the person who in Jesus Christ says in the Bible, Behold, I make all things new again. God is the master of resurrection. So your church can be facing death, but it could experience a resurrection because churches are very strong organisms. They are hard to kill, and it is hard to stop them. Not impossible, as many churches have shown, 
But if there are people who want to see the church have new life, a small group of people can make all the difference in the world. So there's hope on the horizon if your church is one of those churches that's declining. Many people today call this uh, resurrection of the church, revitalization, which has something to do with new life. But the issue is that many people attempt that with a program, and it's not a program, it's much more than that. And that's where we start thinking about this subject of Christianity as a movement. Is Christianity in its very basic form an institution, a program, or a movement? It's a very, very good question, and it's one that every declining church, every dying church really needs to ask. It is the issue behind the issue. I was in a church near Cleveland, Ohio once, uh, working there, and I was looking at the bulletin board, and there was a cartoon there with a preacher who was standing before a handful of people gathered in a sanctuary with many empty seats. It kind of looks like he took a deep breath and said to his congregation, God is calling us to evangelism. The bank that holds our mortgage has mentioned it too. (laughs) Well, yeah, sometimes that mundane money issue, building issue, do we have a future issue, is uh, the way that God gets our attention. But a lot of churches have long since forgotten their purpose and their mission, and that may contribute to their decline more than anything else. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit here and there during this series, because Jesus calls us to reach others with the faith and share the gospel with others. But what happens is sometimes our priorities change. We get focused on the physical needs of a building that might be falling apart. We might be focused on the physical needs of people around us, which is a great ministry, but it's not the ministry that grows churches, and it's not the whole ministry to which Christ has called us. He called us to make disciples, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all people. And so sometimes the issue at the church begins with what is the primary purpose of the church? We've done a lot of research in this area. We've interviewed people by the thousands in over 1,500 churches in 65 different denominations and non-denominational movements and fellowships. What we see when we ask people what is the primary purpose of the church, Only about 34% say what Jesus said is the primary purpose of the church. His great commission, which is great not only because it's a big job, but it's also great because he gives it to us, and it's the greatest thing that can ever happen to anybody to know Jesus. And that great commission is go make disciples of all nations, all people, everybody in your neighborhood, everyone in your area, your city, your town. Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. And we find that in churches, only about 34% of the people, right around a third of the people, understand that as the primary purpose of the church. Well, in another answer of the same question, what is the primary purpose of the church? We have an answer that says the primary purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship for God's people can share God's love with each other. And that brings about 57% of the people in most churches So what we've done is we have moved from the mission of the movement to a country club. It's the country club answer. 
It's the fellowship issue that reigns supreme over the mission. Now, there's nothing wrong with fellowship. I love fellowship. I love going to my own church. People know that I'm not perfect. They know I've made mistakes. They know me well, but they love me. I love them. We're a family. Fellowship is awesome. And so I wouldn't want to go to a church without great fellowship. You shouldn't either. Who would? But what is the primary purpose of the church? Fellowship is great, but the great, great commission is to make disciples. So we fellowship to build up each other, encourage one another, love on each other, strengthen each other, so that we can do the mission that Jesus has called us to do, the Great Commission. So a lot of declining churches have actually drifted from making disciples to what we might call fellowship saturation. It's great to have fellowship, but if that's your only goal, you become turned inward. And this is where the kingdom of God and the body of Christ becomes an institution, and that's what we're going to get at in this series. We're going to talk a little bit later in another segment about kingdom culture. You know where Jesus over and over again taught the disciples using parables, simple stories. And he always started out, the kingdom of God is like this or like that. He would say things like the kingdom of God is like a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Or he would say, you know, the kingdom of God is like leaven or yeast in bread. He would talk over and over again about what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And so as you think about the kingdom of God, and we uh, close off this beginning about the declining church, in our second installment, we're going to look at the whole issue of what are the characteristics of a movement? Because basically, when we look at the kingdom of God, we're looking at a movement, but a lot of churches have stopped moving the movement. A lot of churches have drifted from kingdom to worldly ways. And it doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't mean we're not going to die and be with Jesus. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll be with him for eternity. But it does have an impact if you've drifted. It does have an impact on whether you're any earthly good for reaching the masses for whom Christ died and deeply cares that his church reach those people. And again, it's not that people have done this on purpose. No one has passed a resolution in the church to say, let's stop reaching people for Jesus and let's start declining and dying as a church. I've never seen a church where that happened, but it does happen. We just drift away from the kingdom culture that Jesus taught over and over again. And with that, we start to move away from that primary mission and overemphasize the fellowship. And pretty soon we start declining and people die off and go to be with Jesus and move away or whatever. And then pretty soon we look around and have what's called culture shock. We discover that we're a declining church. Well, that's not meant to be a negative. To get our attention, yes, but not a negative. It's just the beginning of the story. There's a lot more to come as we look at this series. Is Christianity an institution? a program, 
or a movement. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.